this one of the, the struggles, uh, again, struggles. I, I, I live the dream life. But one of the struggles of a Bible teacher is last year this time, I was frantically researching, writing, and putting together Brace for Impact. So just bump me and I'll start talking about it. This year I'm spending hours down there while I'm taking, doing other things, you know, uh, going through pictures and getting the Jerusalem book ready. And then on Monday night, you all show up and want to talk about last summer's book. It's like, what? Uh, brace for, I, I don't know anything about this. This was last year. <laughs> so it, I told Tony, it'd be, it'd be nice to get to the place where you're teaching a Bible class on the subject you're spending all day researching. So you just come up out of the basement just like, oh, and just like talk about it. Instead of being in the basement, coming up consumed with images of Jerusalem. And now you're going to start talking about cultural issues and false ideologies, which... Uh, I hope there's notes here somewhere because I don't know what we're talking about. But anyway, uh, I do. Okay, we are in uh, Bra- uh, uh, Brace for Impact, page 124. Uh, we're in a section of the false ideologies. We went through and established you know, some things that are absolutely true, things that we can trust God for, that God is controlling history, God's controlling the government, God is God, uh, working everything for your glory, everything is working out. Even if you don't understand it, you just keep trust God and We went through the ten basic aspects of that. And those are the things you need to think about, concentrate on, not not brainwash yourself, but realize something bigger is happening than just this temporary life. But along with the truth, uh, the revealed truth, the natural revelation, again, there's two basic ways of understanding reality, and that is what is revealed in nature, what we see and come in contact with, what we call natural revelation, God reveals himself in natural revelation. We call it science. We call it creation. We call it whatever. You can see that there is a designer. But there's also special revelation where God reveals his plan, his will, his character in the word. We call it special revelation. Uh, And I believe in both. I believe God is revealed in nature. And you can find God by observing the way the world functions. Uh, But you can also find God because he's gone out of his way to use language uh, to communicate with man. It's, it's not hard for the word to communicate through language. Uh, but there are so mainly, I put in the book, 10 false ideologies that are in our culture. And like we talked about yesterday, not everything is new. I mean, a lot of things that they call progressive, I mean, it's been around for centuries. Like you know, the classic is the attack on the word of God. It's like, how can the Bible be useful? It's, it's an old book. Why would we trust that? Well, that goes back to Genesis, where the first thing Satan says, or the snake says to the woman is, did God really say? And then he corrects. She gives a, her interpretation of what God had said, that Adam apparently had relayed to her. Uh, and the saint says, ah, no, that can't be. And then he explains it in his way, like, oh, well, that makes more sense. And so she follows him. So he, he begins by saying, did God really say? And so when people come against the word of God, the truth of revelation of Scripture, did God really say, well, that's not very progressive. That's, that's first chapters of Genesis. That's as barbaric as you can get. If you think of, in secular humanistic terms, you're talking about cavemen. Uh, and that's the first thing cavemen did was question the word of God. And I don't believe they were cavemen. But if you want to go, that's how old that is. So we'll call it progressive. It's, it's not. But the last four that we've got, we've talked about secular humanism. We've talked about evolution. We've talked about... Uh, Uh, materialism the one we're going to start off tonight is racism again a a hot topic uh, in our culture 
racism, and we're going to uh, identify, well, here, let me just begin right here. Racism, the, the idea, some of the foundation of racism is, it really begins uh, in, in a false statement, a false ideology, uh, especially built with a secular humanism. That's where it, it gets traction. Evolution, it gets traction. But all the traction they're trying to get, it, it, it deteriorates. And here it is. Uh, according to Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary, the de- definition of racism is this, a belief that race is, fund- is a fundamental determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. Now, racism is the belief that races have uh, fundamental determinant traits and capacities, and that because that is true, certain races, they're different, different capacities, different abilities, then obviously, if we're all on the starting line, because of how they were made, one race is a superior race. Another race is a second race, a third race, all the way down, and you could rate them in there like you're rating the recruits for the NBA draft or, you know, the top 20, you know, bands in the, in the 70s. Uh, the problem with that is that comes from, again, the humanistic, secular humanistic, the evolutionary idea that we have evolved from different trails of the development of humanity. Now, we can go to the Bible and see that in the beginning, God created Adam, and then from Adam, he took a rib or a part of Adam and made a woman, and then from these two people, they began to create, all the people were produced by Adam and Eve and their families. Then the flood came, according to the Bible, wiped out all mankind except Noah and his family, and everyone comes from Noah. That would mean, if you're doing the math biblically, that if you could set a date for the flood of Noah, uh, again, I don't know the date of Noah, but I can project Abraham 2000 B.C., and if you work with it, you can come up with somewhere around 3600 B.C. That is a rough estimate, biblical time, of that is when uh, the human population was reduced to Noah and his family. Uh, Now, I'm not sure if you have a picture of Noah in your mind, what he looks like. Uh, I think if you go to the Church of the Nativity in in Nazareth, uh, you can see certain things there, but there's an upstairs big church. And on the wall, this speaks volumes. I thought. There's pictures from every nation in the world of the nativity scene. And you've got the, uh, you know, the western worlds, this is what the nativity, you've seen it. You maybe have one in your house. But then you go to another country. If it's Eastern, if it's African, if it's whatever, Indian, you, you go anywhere, Japanese. And what's unique about it, 
Joseph and Mary looked just like the people who drew the painting. It's like, well, they, they, they can't, that, that can't be right. They all can't. It has to be like this one, like the Western one, because this is the right one. Well, you, you say, wait, 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 wait. What you're seeing is every culture, wherever they're at in the world, will view the nativity scene or will see Noah. And you've seen the ridiculous pictures of the blonde, blue-eyed Jesus from, you know, the early 1900s hanging in churches. He was Middle Eastern. He, he, he wasn't a white person. But it's not unusual for a white person to draw Jesus to look like a white person any more than it is for a Japanese or a Chinese or someone from Africa to make Jesus or the nativity scene or Noah look like their culture. That's, like, that's not right. That's the way we personalize now, if you had a photograph of Noah, you'd ha- or the Assyrians. We have got inscriptions of the Assyrians, or we've got inscriptions, drawings of what they looked like, their facial features. You've got some of the pharaohs, what the pharaohs' facial features look like, so you can now work with hard evidence. I mean hard because it's stone, it's engraved. But if you're just going to Noah, we don't have an engraving of Noah. We don't have, so it's just natural that you'd, plug him into whatever and that's just the beginning of what happened at the tower of babel when everyone went off into their nations and they began to form cultures forming a culture is not the same thing as racism racism doesn't say different cultures exist racism according to the merriam-webster dictionary is there are different branches of humanity and because of a certain race you've got certain traits that would end up putting you on a spectrum of being superior to inferior somewhere based on how you were evolved. If we go back to 3600 B.C. and you've got Noah and his family, everyone that was in the world today, let's get rid of 2000 B.C., and wherever this takes place, everyone in the world can trace their genealogy back to there. That would be biblical. Um, when I was doing genealogy of my own self, I was amazed to find that I was related to uh, the first king of Germany, Henry. I was also related to uh, uh, Charlemagne. Uh, and then you do the research and you find out that most people coming out of Europe are related to Charlemagne. It's like, so, I mean, I have his features. It's like, what? No, you don't. I, I did. I tried to type. Look, there's Charlemagne. I was doing all the, I mean, this is the son of, oh my gosh, I'm related to Charlemagne. It's like, it stood a little, he was like, he was a very large, tall man, uh, very educated for his time. It's like, you know, I kind of have that trait, you know? It's like, now you understand, that's like, you know, 35 generations ago or something. I, I could do the math. I have it all charted. Yeah, very handsome, you know? <laughs> Uh, grade, grade beautifully as he grade. Uh, but uh, it's like that's not, that's, there's nothing special there. I mean, everyone's related. And if you start off with this right here, and, and as you do your genealogy, start with Galen, and you got two parents, four grandparents, and you end up going like this. By the time you get back, seriously, I, I wish I had taken time to get the chart out. I, I, I figured it out, and then I found other charts like it. By the time you get back to 35 or 50 generations, you have more people 
in your genealogy than were alive on the earth at that time. So at some place, now we're not, we're not in the Bible now. We're, in, we're just in genealogical mathematics. At some place, you don't just keep getting more and more people because what we're heading back towards, we're heading back towards, we'll just say Noah. Or put Adam there if you want to. We're heading back to Noah and his three sons, and they're going to start going this way. But at some point, you double down. It's like you're excreasing. At some point, you start having overlap of your great-grandparents and grandparents. It's all connected. And here we go. What science says, or what we would say natural revelation, um, quoting a book from 2019 called The Genealogical Adam and Eve. And that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about DNA. We're talking about the genealogy charts. Here's a quote straight from the book. All of us, in actuality, shared a common ancestor just two to 3,000 years ago. Now this is, it it has to, that's, that's the math. For the number of people on the earth, it's like you do the chart within two to three thousand years everybody alive on the earth today is related to somebody that's exactly the same in other words within two to it's going to get it's going to get more serious than this within two to three thousand years we all are we all have the same great 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 grandmother or great 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 grandfather and we're not even going back to noah we're not even we're not even talking about the flood we're just saying mathematically you, you, you branch out, but at some point, you all got to start coming back to somebody. And it goes on and says this. For a population of one million, universal ancestors arise in about 20 generations. For a population of 1,000 times larger, one billion universal ancestors arise in about 30 generations. Now, you understand what's saying there. Uh, a population of one million... It, co- it takes about 20 generations to get a million people. And then you're back to, if you've got a million people, those million people within 20 generations have the same great-great-great-great-grandfather. To have a population uh, of 1,000 times larger, say 1 billion people, universal ancestors arise at about 30 generations. So if you've got 1 billion people, how vast of a difference is that? Well, within 30 generations, they're back to the same person if there's a billion galens out here there's still going to be a common it goes on and says this going back just a little bit further we reach the identical ancestor point the iap where everyone at that point and more ancient is either ancestor of everyone alive today or an ancestor of no one so this place of iap of identical ancestral point is the people that was alive there, they are related to everybody alive on earth today. Or if they were there, they're related to nobody. You've burned out. Or else you're related to everybody. This is not a theory. This is science. This is the math. For a population of one million, for example, the IAP would be about 35 generations. Using a generation time of 25 years... That is less than 900 years. So if you, if you figure 25 years for every, a generation comes every 25 years in this. Now, I you know Hope for Mary's last generation, I'm using 40 years. But in this, of a 25 generation, you produce every 25 years, a new generation begins. 
you would need 900 years. Very quickly, all of our genealogies begin to collapse by sharing more and more of the same ancestors. So at some point up here, at about 900 to 1500 years, I hit this point, and I, well, I, I start hitting this point. By 900 years, 900, let's just say 900 to 1500 years, I'm right here with everybody in the world. So they're saying in this book, within 1,000 to 2,000 years, everybody on earth today, based just on genealogy, you're related to the same person. Shows that we overlap even quicker than Adam. We overlap within 900 years, 1,500 years. We're overlapping already, making this obvious. And the DNA says the same thing. DNA, every human alive today has the similar DNA settings that there was an original mother for everyone that comes from the same place. That you can't, they can't be evolving out of swamps on different places on the planet. They've got to come from the same mother. So, science, natural revelation that we just described, and the Bible indicate there is no such thing as differences in the races. Now, indeed, we have different cultures. We have different, what we say, races. But that one race is superior or one race is inferior is anti-science, is anti-genealogical, and it's anti-biblical. It's like, it's ridiculous. And so that ends the discussion. It's like, yeah, but what about race? It's like, well, it, it, it's stupid. It's like, well, this person's, well, they're, they're wrong. Scientifically, genealogically, biblically. It's logically, it's not, it's not, it's not right. It's not possible. So what are we going to do? Well, you reject racism. Well, this person's racist. It's like, what, 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 now what, now what is race? Are you, you're, you, that person's race, according to this, you're saying that person believes that a race is fundamentally better than another one based on their capacities just because they're of a certain race? It's like, that's not possible. That's, they're wrong. So what are we going to do? So ignore them. It's like it's over. The discussion is over. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's like, so if you're promoting, fighting, right, it's, it, that's how you, it's like, it's like arguing about Tinkerbell. It's like, yeah, but that person believes in Tinkerbell. When you're like, really thinks there's a Tinkerbell or that it's a Disney character? No, they, they believe Tinkerbell is controlling history. I, I, what are you going to argue with? What? That's stupid. There, Tinkerbell's not real. And it's like at that point you don't, to sit and argue and give Tinkerbell, the, the Tinkerbell enthusiast, time on a talk show is only promoting the problem. It's like, you're a Tinkerbell believer? You're a Tinkerbell enthusiast? We're done with you. You can't be here. You, it doesn't make sense. And then here's, all, here's scripture talking about... Uh, the ideal of racism also. Uh, I say, same things. I think I've said everything there. Yeah, I could go on. There's more things there. Okay, next one. Scientism. Scientism is the belief that science is the best or only possible source of knowledge. Now, scienceism 
science. How do you spell science? Oh, scientism. 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 This is different than science. Science is the belief that science provides knowledge. Science can provide information, insight, that we need science. Science is a thing that can study things in nature, in God's creation. Scientism says that science is the only knowledge. Now, you say, this is ridiculous, but this is something you come in contact with. That is why someone... I stand up and talk about the Word of God, the Bible. I talk about the existence of something in the supernatural. I talk about uh, the values that are established in the Scripture. It's like, ah, we can't go there. Well, you're anti-science if you believe the Bible. Well, I I can show you that that's not true. Because you can accept the Bible. uh, You can accept philosophy. You can accept a variety of other fields of study and also accept science. The Bible gives you knowledge. Philosophy gives you knowledge. But scientism, this is the only source of knowledge. Means you can't go to the Bible for truth. It also means you can't go to philosophy. You can't go, everything's got to, is scientific. Everything's got to be proven scientifically. Uh, first of all, here we go. The first problem with scientism is that it claims that science is the only source of knowledge was not developed through the process of science. But it goes right back to it's self-defeating. We're saying science is the only process of knowledge. How do you know that? You're going to have to get down into here and use some... Well, let's read this. It is not an experiential proven fact but a philosophical statement about the nature of knowledge. You're using philosophy to define what knowledge is to tell someone that science is the only source of knowledge. But to get there, you had to use philosophy to define what knowledge. Well, you can't... You're, again, we're done here. Now, seriously, if Christianity could be that easily defeated, then we would have a problem. Now, do people think that Christianity can be that easily dismissed? They're going to have to, in most cases, stand on one of these positions, like scientism, and refute the Bible because science is the only form of knowledge, which they just refuted themselves by using philosophy to say the only source of knowledge, which means the Bible's wrong. Well, no, you proved yourself wrong before you made a statement about the Bible. And so it goes through all the different areas. You get into evil in the world you're going to have to have these other characteristics of God to do this, to work through this whole system. In other words, the fact in the end, the fact that there's evil in the world, not to mention, you're going to have, what is evil? You're going to, have to be able to define evil. Because if there is no God, if there is no God, there is no evil. Because what do you, what, what's evil? It's like we're just in secular humanism and in evolution you're defining evil based on what you don't like. And so you're to define evil, you're going to have to have something more substantive than just, just your opinion, which means you're going to have to have the existence of God. So in other words, 
The whole point for going down that trail was scientism is defeated by its own definition right away. Uh, point page 127, science is undeniably a source of knowledge, right? Yes. But we also know that logic, mathematics, history, psychology are also sources of knowledge. Even science leads us to understand there is something beyond the limits of what science can examine. So science can measure these things, but as science knows, it gets to a point where we can't measure that, but yet that is real. We can't measure why you think what you think. We can't measure uh, all of the aspects of the universe outside of the material world, but yet we know there's something there. And science will admit that. As we've seen, science itself, as well as physical reality, leads us to believe there is a creator and a sustainer. One could even make the case that science and life suggest the need for a redeemer since it shows there is death and decline in a world otherwise designed for life. And the idea is this, if, going back to the ideal of evil, if the world is designed for life and productivity, everything's going to be getting better, but we see death, we see decay, the very fact that it's designed for life, but these things are here, the very fact evil is here, something's wrong, but yet it was designed for life, it required that there has to be something going on more than science. Because science in itself would just be, everything would just keep growing. If we evolved out of nothing, we're going to this place of utopia. But yet we're always dealing with everybody dies, everything decays, everything falls. The universe itself is unwinding. It's, it's slowing down. And if that's the case, where'd this evil come from? If it's just evolution, everything's just getting better and better and better, this is more of a problem for the evolutionists than it is for the Christian or the scientist. Because evolution, we've done this chart before, evolution teaches we started simple and we're improving. So that's where we're going. If this was 2 billion years ago, and this was 1,000 years ago, and this is today, then we're heading here. So if you're an evolutionist, you don't need to worry about global warming because it can't slow you down. If you're an evolutionist, you don't need to worry about corona because it's just going to purify humanity and nature and take us to the next level how do you think we got from here to here we left a few people behind how do we get from here to here it's like not everyone makes it only the strong survive so we're going here and so we're heading towards utopia so don't worry anybody that's pushing the panic button don't worry but do we see that we see ourselves heading here. Everybody's afraid. Everybody, everybody, even the evolutionists, who this is their philosophy, are talking and warning you, global warming, we're running out of fossil fuel, we're going to start eating each other, we're not going to have, we've got too many people on the planet. I mean, how, it's like we're to a place now where we've got too much medicine, no one dies anymore. We're, we, we've, we're, we, we've got a problem here. It, it, it's like, what? It, it, the global warming and overpopulation? It's like... So we've got to kill people to stop global warming so we don't kill... It's like, it, it's, it, it's running in circles. If everybody thinks we're heading here, the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches we started in a garden and we're heading to Armageddon. 
And so this is what everybody, including the evolutionists, see. Otherwise, that's why all the alarmists have got, or they're writing books, because they're, taught, they're preaching this. This is what's going to happen unless you embrace their philosophy, which is this is what's happening. Well, if this is what's happening, then this is what's happening. Why would we believe this is happening when even you, who are saying this is what you believe, say this is happening? This is biblical. The Bible says we start in the garden and we're heading towards Armageddon. That there is death. There is sin. There is rebellion. And that ultimately the only thing that's going to, yeah, the only thing is going to save you. Is there going to be global warming? It sure sounds like something takes place at the end. I don't think it's global warming. But it talks about the sun being so hot that people go out and they get scorched by it. I mean, it gets hot in Texas. Uh, it gets hot in the equator. It gets hot here in Iowa. Muggy, mostly. But, uh, no one's going out and being fried by the sun. But here in the end, it's, it's, it's chaos. And like we've talked about when we went through Revelation, you are, when you get through the seven trumpets and the seven seals, there's no water on the earth. There's, the air is totally polluted. Everything is dead. I mean, you're go- everybody's going to be dead within the month, if not the week. If you've survived seven years into the tribulation by the time you get to the last 30 days there's there's no hope humanity is dying i mean not like sometime in the future it's like sometime before lunch there's not going to be anybody left and that's where jesus returns the only hope of mankind and sets up his kingdom and we that now we're in eschatology so this is what everybody sees happening this is what the bible sees happening but the bible teaches that the king the creator is going to come back after having paid for the sins is going to come back and set up his kingdom and at that point he will take us into the kingdom if you want to call it utopia you can it's called the kingdom of god the home of righteousness and he will it says the last enemy death will be defeated this right here you can believe this right here that we evolved and we're getting better and better and better but no one's talking about how better we're getting everybody's talking about how bad we're getting so i mean you can you can you've got a false philosophy that everyone teaches in the universities but then they go to a humanities class and they teach this or they teach this in their science class but they go to their history class and they teach this at least in the bible we can teach this is where we're headed all right that is the end of what was that the end of was that the end of anything scientism okay so now we go to this is going to be sounding redundant here if it doesn't already naturalism on page 130 The philosophy that natural laws are the only forces that determine behavior and govern the structure of the universe is called naturalism. According to this way of thinking, there is no supernatural realm, let alone any manifestation of the supernatural world. Okay, So there's no supernatural. Everything is natural. Everything can be explained. Now, naturalism. Did I spell that right? There are two forms of naturalism two camps the material naturalism the material naturalism believes this 
He reduces everything that exists, including soul, down to matter. So a material naturalist, everything is connected to matter. Everything can explainable event coming from the mind or the spirit. In a similar way, a reductionism, that's the material matter, the material naturalist, is a philosophical idea that tries to explain complex life forms and scientific processes merely with terms from laws of physics and chemistry. So watch, the, talk about dumbing stuff down and making things too simple and too elementary. Putting it in your own little camp so you can explain it is the things that are very complex in life, even the life itself, and scientific processes that are beyond understanding, they are simply going to be explained as laws of physics and chemistry causing these things to happen. So the very fact that you're having thoughts and you have a soul, emotions, that you have personal relationships, whatever, ah, it all comes down to basic laws of ma- the material or matter. It, it, it's, it, it's a simple law. So, I mean, right here, this reduces free will. I mean, it, it's like you don't have free will. You can only have a choice. It's you, the, the material caused you to be this way. I mean, now you try and preach salvation to that person. You need to confess your sins. Sins. <laughs> The material made me do it. it used to be, you remember uh, Sammy Davis Jr., the, the devil made me do it? This is the material made me do it. I just chemicals in my body made me do that. Nothing I can do about it. Um, there are two layers here, but the reductionist would oversimplify. Okay, wait, wait. It oversimplifies complicated things. Replace an eternal God, or excuse me, replace an eternal God with eternal material or with the mind or spirit. Each of these right here, you cannot take and say, there is no God, it's all material. Well, God is eternal. You're going to have to make material or some mind or spirit somewhere eternal. And you've got to replace God. And if you've if you got to replace the eternal God, this is a bad choice. Go where there's eternal material. Th- this position is insufficient for the same reason as the theories of atheism, evolution. That's why it sounds familiar as last week. Because it reduces everything that exists to only one type of thing, in this case, either mind or spirit or matter. Like other false philosophies, naturalism cannot explain the origin of matter. Where did, okay, matter, where did it come from? Uh, It cannot explain order. It cannot explain design. Matter cannot explain time. Matter is in time. It didn't create time. Or the morality of mankind. What, what, why are these things? Why is this wrong? If it's all, listen, if, if you are seriously an evolutionist, a secular humanist, a materialist or naturalist, then morality is, and again, it's your choice. You just got to get a group of people that all agree on morals. But now it's, it's subjective. It's like it's, it doesn't matter. It, we decide it's moral, it's moral. That's why you don't have any, there's no standards. Um, because it reduces everything that exists to only two types of things, in this case, either mind or spirit. Okay, I, I skipped that. Okay, next paragraph. Naturalism strives to explain everything by saying that everything is caused by material which itself has no evident or explained cause. Man's mind, man's soul, man's emotions would have to be the result of materialistic chemical reactions. The interior of the physical body of a man can be ex- examined in every aspect, but the thoughts of the soul can never be known unless the thinker speaks 
Now you can take my body apart. You can examine my heart. You can do all kinds of scans. You can do a surgery. But you can't cut into my mind and find out what I'm thinking until I speak. I know you can hook up some kind of electrical scans and see what kinds of parts of the brain are active. But the thinker has to speak before the thoughts can be revealed. Yet scientists and philosophers that follow naturalism and reductionism use thought and logic, which are supposedly caused by materialistic chemical reactions. So if the, what's in my mind can only be expressed by what I say, you can't find out what's in my mind. But yet what is happening in my mind